So what's going on today? Rolling power outages in China, the US debt ceiling looming, Biden's support bills looking less likely, growing lack of confidence in the Fed with one Democrat senator calling Jerome Powell dangerous, plus rising bond yields, fuel prices rising, consumer confidence falling, inflation continuing, and forget about reflation, there's more talk about stagflation. No wonder markets are running for cover, all down to a fiery Senate banking committee meeting. It's Wednesday, the 29th of September, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, more big moves in bond yields on 10-year treasuries up four basis points to 1.54%. That is 22 basis points higher than a week ago. And it was higher earlier today, almost 1.58%. Yields up across Europe as well. 10-year gilts got over 1% overnight for the first time since May 2019. But stocks are also down. The Nasdaq down more than 2.7%. The S&P losing 1.7%. The Dow 1.6% down. The same in Europe. The DAX down over 2%. The Eurostoxx 50 2.6% lower. Uh, The FTSE half a percent off. And the US dollar is up half a percent on the Japanese yen with big losses in the Aussie dollar down 0.7% below 72.4 US cents and the pound down 1.2% this morning to $1.35. That's the low point of the year so far. So quite a bit going on. Commodities have eased off though. WTI crude is down 0.9%. Brent losing 1.2%. But gas is still on the rise. Uh, NYMEX uh, natural gas is up almost a quarter over the last week, up 2.4% today. Go back to April, it's more than doubled in price. So a lot happening. What's got everyone spooked though? Let's talk about it with Tapa Strickland from NAB in Sydney. A lot of this uh, seems to, I mean, it's obviously there's a lot that's been going on for the last week, but uh, it seems to have uh, sort of reached a crescendo with a very fiery US Senate Banking Committee today. Sounds like it was fairly heated, Tapas. Uh, yes, that's right. And I guess the market focus is really on the potential for Fed Chair Powell to be re-nominated as, as chair. Um, and then the other mm. one is really on whether Congress can get its act together and uh, pass um, its uh, funding, uh, stopgap funding measure and also uh, raise the debt ceiling as well. And on both of those measures, you would have to say um, it was on the uh, more adverse side. So um, a key Democratic um, senator said um, she wouldn't vote for power for a second term yeah elizabeth warren she said she said he was a dangerous man uh, because he hadn't done enough in banking regulation basically didn't she in, in, indeed and so it's uh it's, it's still a little bit unclear whether uh chair power will get another term there and if he doesn't then mm. the leading candidate is governor brainard um, and so that would tilt probably the fed back to being slightly on the dovish side um and then on the debt ceiling and then the funding for the infrastructure package. It doesn't look like too much progress is being made there. Uh, Progressives uh, within the Democratic Party um, are really wanting both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the social infrastructure bill being passed at at the same time. And so they're they're holding up passage on that bit. And then on the debt ceiling, uh, the Republicans are really using that as a bargaining chip. And so it's very unclear whether we'll get any resolution on both of those ahead of the possibility of a government sh- shutdown starting on Friday. Well, supposedly um, there's a vote on Thursday, isn't there, on, the, on those bills. But as you're saying, that if, if one is held up against the other, it's, it doesn't stand much hope of either of them uh, making any progress. But October the 18th is the magic date. Janet Yellen says basically that's when they're going to run out of cash. Uh, yes, so we'll be looking quite closely at those developments as we uh, go into next week and into October. Uh, the key thing, though, is we have been here before, uh, and so I don't think the market is um, 
giving too much in the way of fear in regards to these events, but they are quite big events if they were to pass, of course. Yeah. So something interesting said by Jerome Powell today, he said uh, that the US is a long way from maximum employment, uh, but also said but we've all but met the test for tapering. So he's he's divided the two out. We've done that before, but it seems to be indicating that, uh, you know, they can taper even if unemployment is still high. And, you know, on that, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, forget about the, the, the Phillips curve, which, of course, maps unemployment against inflation because the weak, the link between the two is weaker because obviously the cause of inflation is because of all these all these supply constraints. So is he positioning himself to say, look, we might taper even if we don't get great unemployment, uh, great employment numbers over the next month or so. Oh, I, th- I think that's a good way to read it. And um, some other Fed officials who have come out uh, recently have said uh, it would take a significant run of weak data for them to shift their tapering stance. So I think it's quite clear that the Fed will uh, announce uh, taper come the November meeting. And then in terms of how that plays into the rate hike view, in terms of the rate hike view, then it comes back down towards have we made maximum um progress on uh, full employment there. And just worth noting, uh, Powell also started to change his language on, on inflation. Uh, and he said the supply side bottlenecks behind the surge of inflation have, have gotten worse. Uh, and so that yeah. suggests that that kind of transitory narrative uh, in terms of inflation has a little bit longer to play uh, than what the Fed probably was thinking only just a couple of months ago. And although Powell did make the headlines overnight, there was a really interesting interview with James Bullard, who's a regional Fed president, and he cautioned that high inflation may require a more aggressive Fed, and uh, including the possibility of two interest rate hikes in 2022. So um, in some respects, this rise that we have seen in yields is in reaction to the possibility of a hawkish Fed uh, and the possibility of the Fed raising rates uh, as early as 2022. And then you have uh, Bullard out there being even more hawkish on, on top of that and saying maybe they need to raise rates twice in 2022. And then the last thing that mm. uh, Bullard said was really on the balance sheet. So once they s- start tapering and then tapering ends, say midway through next year, well, what do they do with the balance sheet? Do they start allowing the maturities to, to, to roll off? And uh, Bullard raised the prospect that the Fed may um, go down that path. Um, now, of course, he's, he's only one official in the FOMC, but it is just interesting that um, they are starting to bring up what do they do with the balance sheet going forward once tapering has finished. But we've got yields, bond yields rising uh, just about everywhere, haven't we? I mean, if they continue to rise, I mean, how do central banks react to that? I think central banks will be looking at financial conditions, obviously, but really... You have to think about how quick the economy has has recovered and whether the market is telling you uh, the appropriate policy rate is higher than it should be there. And I think most Fed officials have been thinking that the curve should steepen and that yields should be higher as you start to normalise policy out there. So I don't, I don't think the yield moves that we have seen would be too concerning for the Fed at the moment. Right, okay. Well, look, uh, we, there is a bit of concern about the speed of the recovery, though, isn't there? We're seeing US confidence uh, waning a little. I mean, still in positive territory. The, the Conference Board consumer uh, confidence figures for September was 109.3, so still over 100. But in July, uh, it was up at 125.1. So there's a clear direction here, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. So the consumer confidence uh, Consumer Confidence Conference Board measure is down to a seven-month low now. And again, the spread of the Delta variant is said to be the main cause of that. Um, And so you'd have to say if case numbers are peaking in the US and those vaccination rates are slowly edging higher, then maybe consumer confidence starts to rebound there. Uh, More interesting for the Fed outlook, though, was that 
inflation expectations dipped by, uh, I think it was by 0.2. And so that's a four-month low now. So maybe the peak inflation from that transfer component um, is starting to fade. And one of those areas is obviously used cars um, and lumber prices. So maybe that is starting to ease up in terms of inflationary pressures for consumers at least. No, unless fuel prices continue to go up, of course, and that could change all of that. Look, it's, it's a very different story. Well, actually, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, what what, what is the read now on, because uh, we have been seeing this big spike in energy uh, and that, that power crisis seems to be hitting China in quite a big way as well because uh, because of supply problems. The rise in the price of coal is what's uh, affecting them, uh, in part because the you know the, it's just more expensive, but also they've got increasing environmental controls as well, so they don't want to use as much coal. So there's these reports now of rolling power outages, some local governments cutting back on supply to try and cut carbon emissions as, as well as the, the price rises. So... I mean, all if we. I mean, this could really impact the, uh, you know, the expectation for uh, for growth in China this year, couldn't it? Oh, I think it does. And not only have you had those reports of rolling power outages in many provinces that account for a fair chunk of Chinese GDP, but you've also got the Delta outbreaks that are ongoing with uh, China's zero COVID policy, uh, and then you've got the whole Evergrande and the property sector developments as well. So that's he's setting up a pretty weak growth picture for China in Q3 and Q4 there. So how do you think Evergrande is going to resolve itself? Is the government just going to take it over? I mean, that would be one massive piece of nationalisation, wouldn't it, if that was to happen? I think I think that's a very good, um, almost base case there. So we do know restructuring teams have been assembled. And we also know that um, some local governments are being encouraged and some state-owned enterprises are being encouraged to buy the assets of Evergrande as well. So um, some kind of state takeover is 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 a possibility for sure. Now, uh, at home, Aussie retail sales yesterday are 1.7% for month-on-month. Actually better than expected, wasn't it, considering everything that's going on or not going on. Uh, what, what was your takeout from those numbers yesterday? I guess the two takeouts was that uh, retail sales in WA, which hasn't really been affected by lockdown restrictions, uh, actually rose. Um, so that tells you the consumer is still in relatively positive um, situation um, outside of those mm. lockdown areas and that consumers overall remain relatively buoyant. And that's what consumer uh, sentiment surveys are saying as well. So probably plays to the view that uh, consumers really bounce quite aggressively once lockdown restrictions ease in uh, New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT. Right. That, well, that's good news because those COVID disaster payments, I mean, they could be uh, wound back fairly soon, couldn't we, when we, we hit the, uh, the, uh, the the target for vaccinations. Uh, and there might be a bit of concern that, you know, they're going to be wound back too quickly, but maybe not if we're seeing retail bounce back as fast as that. Uh, yes. And I think that's the other key, key thing here. So um, with um, interstate borders and um, some state premiers taking a more measured approach in terms of easing up on restrictions, it looks like the federal government is going to be exerting maximum pressure there and he's going to be turning off the taps of those COVID-19 disaster payments once those vaccination thresholds hit um, 70% and 80%. So those COVID uh, payments start to taper once the vaccination rate hits 70%. And just to give you some indication how early that could be, in New South Wales, we're expected to get there by around October 5. Um, And then... um, they would basically end once the vaccination rate hits 80%. And uh, New South Wales gets there by around October 18, I think it was. Uh, So the federal government is using um, its its powers in order to corral state 
governments to ease up on restrictions and possibly also ease up on interstate borders as well. Right, as long as they're not uh, pulling stuff back too quickly, that would be the big concern, wouldn't it? Christine Lagarde sounding very dovish at the start of the ECB Central Bank Conference. She said there's no signs that this increase in inflation that we're seeing is becoming broad-based across the economy. The key challenge, she said, is to ensure that we do not overreact to transitory supply shocks that uh, have no bearing on the medium term. That sounds like she's saying, look, we're just going to carry on doing what we're doing, doesn't it? Oh, it does indeed. And uh, just worth noting that coming up today, um, there's a panel by a number of different yes. uh, Fed uh, and uh, ECB speakers. And on that panel is actually the, the Fed's power. Everyone. BOE's Bailey, <laughs> Bank of Japan's Kuroda and ECB's Lagarde. And just worth noting, um, Powell and Bailey um, have been, I guess, the central banks are tilting hawkish, having signalling that... Um, um, they're thinking about raising rates and raising rates in 2022, um, while the Bank of Japan and the ECB remain firmly dovish. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the, the the battle of ideas there, especially on inflation, um, just given the rise in energy prices right. that we have seen over recent days as well. And that is just about it. It's a fairly quiet day, isn't it, for uh, actual activity and reports today. But I mean, are we going to see another volatile day? I mean, these have been, you know, big movements in currencies, big movements in equities, Big movements in yields. I mean, that can't go on day after day, obviously. Uh, I guess it can't, but I think it is going to be a relatively volatile environment. So you'd have to say yields have to rise to some point to make it attractive for, for, for buyers again. And whether that is at a 10-year yield of 1.54, where it's currently trading now, or closer to 1, 1.6 is a little bit un- unclear. And I guess um, that can lead to a little bit of volatility in this session ahead then you also got the government funding for the u.s and the debt ceiling debates as well yeah and this rush for the u.s dollar is that going to continue is it going to continue to to hurt the aussie Uh, when you look at what is driving the rise in in yields it looks like about two-thirds of it is being driven by real yields and so that is u.s dollar supportive so for as long as that uh, rise in yields is being driven by the real component then uh, you could see further dollar gains ahead right okay uh, thanks for all of that. Catch you soon, Tapas. Uh, cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call for this Wednesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.